Uh, please stand if you're able. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 6, verses 45 to 56. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when he saw them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for all they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gesenaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. As many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, New Hope. Uh, today we'll be continuing on uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Rob preached from uh, part of chapter 6 last week. And we'll continue on in that story, just as uh, Albert read for us just now. I wonder how many of us ask this question in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you don't verbalize it, but it's just kind of in our hearts. And it goes something like this. Does, does God see me? Does he see how much I'm struggling? And as we look to the Gospels, we'll see that it is in this place, in this place of struggling and questioning in our hearts, this is where Jesus meets us. In our struggling, Jesus comes near to us. I'm going to read this portion again in Mark 6, starting from verse 45. It says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, why is he dismissing a crowd? What's going on? Just before they had spent all day miraculously feeding thousands of people. So Jesus and his disciples had just finished feeding 5,000 people. That is a party. I don't know if you've ever been to like a big wedding before with like hundreds of people and you think that's a lot of work, a lot of catering to do. This was thousands. So it was a busy day. They were exhausted. It was full. And there were only 12 of them. <laughs> For 5,000 people. And he dismissed the crowd. 
and he sends them on a boat. And after he had taken leave of them, Jesus, he went up on the mountain to pray, to reconnect with his Father in heaven. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea with the disciples, and Jesus was alone on the land. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Let's pause there. The disciples were struggling. Here they are, they're on a boat. They had just come back from a missions trip. They had just finished feeding somehow 5,000 people, plus their wife and kids. And they'd pick up all the leftover scraps in the field somewhere. Man, they are done. Done, sir, done. And it's already evening. The day is done. And now they're sent out on a boat. And it's like one thing after another. It's windy. It gets bad. It's bad conditions. It seems like everything's just against them. And they're just drained. Their strength is gone. When it says they're making headway painfully, painfully, more literally, it means torturously. It was torturous. It was like they're going nowhere. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever worked so hard and it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to do this all over again. <laughs> this is going nowhere. It is torturous. There seems to be no difference, no progress. They are struggling. And do you see, it says Jesus saw. Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully. He sees them. He sees us. Now, if you remember, this is familiar territory for the disciples. They've struggled through wind-tossed seas before. In Mark chapter 4, they were in a boat, this time with Jesus. And do you remember that story? Jesus, he was sleeping in the boat. Somehow he found a pillow and he, was, he laid his head on a pillow and he was asleep in the boat. And there was such a great windstorm that the boat was getting flooded. And the disciples were like, ah, Jesus, wake up. And then he does and says, peace, be still. And whoosh, it's still. And they're like, oh my gosh. And so this is not the first time. They've been in a boat before. But there are some differences here. Last time, Jesus was asleep. It didn't seem like he was aware of what was going on. But this time, Jesus is awake and he sees. He has that perspective. He's able to see that the disciples are struggling and making painful headway. So the natural question is, in all of his power and might, and from his godly perspective, why doesn't Jesus just stop the wind and the waves? Why doesn't Jesus say, peace, be still? That's oh, okay. The disciples can just go on their way. Why not? Instead, what we see Jesus do is he gets close. He comes near. He starts walking toward the disciples. Let's continue on in verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, and that's 3 to 6 a.m., if you've ever been awake 
between 3 and 6 a.m. because of work, because of worry, because of something else. You know that that's the darkest part of the night, or at least it feels that way. It's the darkest part of the night, just before the dawn's coming. You know it's coming, and yet it feels like the darkest and longest part of the night. That's where the disciples are at. All night, they've been going nowhere. And at the darkest, longest part of the night, it says, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. They were terrified. They think Jesus is a ghost. I don't know if it's because they were just hallucinating because it was 3 a.m. and they were just exhausted, or they just couldn't see. If you've ever been on a boat, or if you've ever been in, like, outside in the rain and just water just going in your face, maybe you can't see. Either way, they think he's a ghost, and they cry out. They're terrified. And I want us to notice here, in this passage, in this whole gospel account, everything that Jesus says and every action that Jesus does, it is filled with purpose. They are divine acts. I want us to see this throughout this this portion of Scripture, that everything that he says and does points to that he is God. That he is God. And so walking on the water, for example, is not just a cool trick that Jesus is saying, look what I can do. Isn't this cool? Right? That's, that's not a trick. It's not just something to impress. It's not just something that is demonstrating like I am powerful. No. This is a divine and godly act. Walking on the water shows that Jesus, he is over all creation. These chaotic waters, these uncontrollable forces that can swallow up even the biggest ocean liners. That Jesus is over these chaotic forces. And often as we have seen throughout scripture, whether it's the Red Sea, swallowing up the Egyptians or the Lord in his divine judgment judging the earth to the flood with Noah the waters representing God's terrible wrath and justice Jesus walks upon it he is over it the very act of walking on the water shows that Jesus is not just any man or a teacher, but he is God. But the disciples miss it. They think he's a ghost. Now there's something else that's kind of troubling. Do you see it says this? He meant to pass by. He meant to pass by them. So at first it says, Jesus sees them and he walks towards them and it says he meant to pass by them. What does that mean? Why is Jesus about to pass by the disciples? I thought he was there to help them. I thought he was there to rescue them. What do you mean pass by? Why does Jesus mean to pass by them? Jesus passes by. Remember, every action, every word that he's speaking and doing here points to the fact that he is God. So even the act of Jesus passing by, he's meaning to pass by them, shows that he is God because God passes by. 
There are several instances that are well known throughout Scripture where God passes by his servants. He passes by to show them that he is God. Uh, one example is in Moses, with Moses. In Exodus 33, it says this. Moses says to God, then show me your glorious presence. You just said that, God, we're not worthy. Like, you might not even go with us. You're going to send us to the promised land, but no. And here, Moses is pleading with God, and he's praying. and said, you have to be with us. You, God, you're the only reason that we are us. You've got to go. And in his prayer, in his conversation with God, he says, show me your glorious presence. Show me that you're really here. Show me that these are not just signs and coincidences that are happening, but show me you. And this is the, the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. And as my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you, cover you with my hands until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. He is so holy and glorious. He says, if you look at my face, you literally can't handle it. You will die. This godly act of passing by, God does this with Elijah, if you remember, up on another mountain. When God passes by his servants, he's trying to show them himself. I am showing you me. That's what God is doing when he passes by. So when Jesus passes by, he meant to pass by. It doesn't mean he's going to ignore them. That would be kind of weird, right? It's like, I see you. I'm coming to you. I'm just going to ignore you. That's not what it means. It means it is a divine act of saying, I am identifying myself as God to you. I am showing you that I am God with you right now. Just as God passes by Moses, Jesus passes by the disciples. And he means to pass by so that they may see and know that he is God. So whether it's walking on water or passing by the disciples, Jesus is showing that he himself is God. I wonder, a lot of, a lot of times our thoughts, our thoughts can be, you know what, because I'm struggling, because I'm stuck and I feel like I'm not making any progress, or because I'm in trouble, because I'm in pain, a pain maybe that won't be taken away, then I don't know if Jesus is real. He doesn't feel real to me. He seems more like a ghost than anything else. Something irrelevant, distant, out of touch. Many times, if we're honest, Jesus is maybe not even on our minds when we're in the, right in the middle of struggling. Maybe that's, he's the last thing on our minds. I might sometimes think, because my life is filled with trouble, I don't know if Jesus is with me. Jesus is not for me. Do you ever feel like Jesus is passing you by? But the truth for us today is that Jesus sees you struggling. And his response is maybe not to necessarily stop the storm. But his response is to come near you. He comes close to you. 
and comes close to you in the storm that maybe he's allowing to happen and shows us that he is with us through it all. In other words, when it's most tough, when it's the night is longest and the darkest part of the night and the season of our lives, before dawn arrives, Jesus comes to us. He doesn't just pass you by, but he passes by to show you himself. The disciples can't blame them. They can't really see the point that Jesus is making. Can you imagine? Jesus is like, I don't know what will convince him that I'm God. I don't walk on water. What is that? And he's passing by. He's a ghost. They're missing the point. And isn't that just like us? You know, we can't really judge the disciples too harshly. Very honestly speaking, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us know that sometimes it's hard to see Jesus? It's hard to see him. Here in this gospel account, we can take heart because even, even when we doubt in our hearts, even when it's so hard for us to see Jesus, when we're questioning Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us. So he takes it a step further. And verse, look at verse 50. But immediately, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus, he reveals himself to us in our questioning. What question? What question? Jesus here is answering his disciples' question. Wait a minute, we didn't, we, we didn't see a question here. The disciples are just, ah, ah, it's a ghost. That's all they really kind of say. There's no question here. A way that the, the, the writer, Mark, writes his gospel is, he'll kind of introduce one story and concept. And you'll see that it's not a full resolution. There's kind of a cliffhanger. They don't talk about something else in the middle. And then he brings us back, and he reminds us of that thing that he just talked about, but he brings it to a fuller kind of understanding. Right? Something that's called a Markin sandwich. Or in movies and TV shows, he leaves Easter eggs, right? And he answers them. So that's what he does. And so here, he's actually answering his disciples' previous question. What question? The questions his disciple asks are simply, do you care? And... Who is this? If you read in Mark chapter 4, I'm just going to read, put those two questions up. Remember, I mentioned before, there was another great windstorm. They were in a boat. They were almost drowning, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And the disciples say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing, that we're about to die? Do you not care? And when he awoke, he rebuked the wind, and he said, peace be still. There was a great calm, and the wind stopped. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It says they were filled with great fear. And the disciples said to him, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then 
if you remember, in that account, it just kind of stops. It moves to a different story. It's just like, what? So what kind of ending is that? <laughs> you know, it's like, who then is this? No answer, cut to a different scene. And then so Mark brings us back kind of more full circle, and he says, all right, here's another very similar encounter. They're in a boat. They're struggling for their lives, and Jesus is with them. And here, he finally gives them the answer. Do you even care? Take heart. Who then is this? It is I. Jesus, he reveals himself to us in our questioning. And just like with the disciples, maybe it's not at a convenient time for us. Maybe it's in a way that is like completely not how we wanted the answer to be. When he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, Jesus is repeating what God so often says all throughout Scripture whenever he meets with his people. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This is God language. God says this to his people again and again. So remember, everything that Jesus says and does in this account points to the fact that he is God. And he wants his disciples to see this. More specifically, when he says, it is I, that should remind us, it rings a bell. This is how God identifies himself. Remember when Moses says, uh, who, who should I tell the, what should I tell the people when they ask me, who sent you? And God says, I am. I am that I am. Same meaning as, it is I. I want us to listen to the prophetic message of Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesize this, and it'll help us understand, I think, the importance of what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this instance when he says, it is I. Okay, so I want us to kind of notice the language. I am, it is I language in what Isaiah says here. And I think it'll give us some important insight. It says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I am the only God. Throughout Scripture, this is how God identifies himself. I am. It is I. Jesus says this several times throughout the gospel. It is I. And people who know better, who know Scripture, they actually take great offense when Jesus says, it is I. When he says that kind of stuff, the Pharisees, who are really well-versed in Scripture, they say, that's blasphemy. How dare you say that? Only God says that. They know. So when Jesus says, it is I, it is no mistake. He is identifying himself. I am God. Only God says this stuff. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is revealing himself as God. We would wish that Jesus would just take away the problems and the struggles and just give us kind of the straight answers that we want. 
Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why now? Or why not me? What have I done to deserve this? How much longer? And those are the questions that we would like God to answer. And yet, in our questioning, Jesus answers, I think, the more important questions that are underneath our questioning, the real questions that matter. Do you care? And who are you really that I should trust you? And Jesus gives us himself. He reveals himself as God. It is I. Take heart. Do not be afraid. I want to just look for a, little for a little more further in this Isaiah passage. What is the point of all this? Jesus revealing himself to us. So what? What does Jesus want from us? Look at verse 10 in, in Isaiah. It says, You are my witnesses that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. In other words, Jesus, everything that he's saying and doing for the disciples right now as they're struggling in the boat, says, you are my witnesses. Everything that you're seeing me do, when I fed the 5,000 people, when I'm healing the lepers, when I'm raising the dead, everything that I'm teaching you about the kingdom of God, everything that I'm seeing and doing, you are my witnesses. And when you witness me, what is the point of all this anyway? Why am I walking on water for you? Why am I coming to you like this? Why am I passing by? It's not just to impress you. But you, as you witness these things about me, what I'm really doing is I'm revealing myself to you so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. That Jesus is God. He is the Holy One who is your Savior. This is why Jesus is walking on water for his disciples in this moment. He is hoping and willing and wanting for the disciples to see and witness all this. And right now they're confusing, it's a ghost. But he's like, no, he's trying, to, he's trying to convey and illustrate and show them directly the things that only God does. And saying like, it's so that when you see these things of me, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am God. And if you know anything about the disciples' lives, it takes them a while, a minute, to kind of eventually come to that understanding. Remember, there's this road that Jesus is walking on after he resurrects with the disciples. And then here he is in person, in the flesh, and they still don't see it. And then he has to kind of connect the dots for them throughout Scripture. It's like, remember all that you've witnessed and seen and everything that was written? Yeah, that's me. <gasps> So it takes the disciples some time to process all that. It takes you and me some time to process all that, doesn't it? We don't just automatic, automatically kind of come to these things. The reality is that we can relate with the disciples. In our struggle, it's, it's hard to see. The disciples were terrified. They were astounded. And yet, look at what it says. Look at what it says. It says, but their hearts were hardened. You would expect after an encounter like this, they would be like, wow, Jesus is Lord. Wow, you're so powerful. Wow, we believe in you. Wow, our faith is so much, so much more strengthened because you got us out of the storm, because the wind ceased, because you were walking on water. We believe so much more now. And yet the reaction is, 
they were astounded, but they didn't understand about the loaves, about Jesus feeding everyone, that Jesus is the greater Moses, that Jesus is the bread from heaven. They didn't quite get that yet. It was very elusive. And their hearts were hardened. It did not elicit a greater and immediate faith. It says their hearts were hardened. That's the result. Do you see why? And do you see the effort that Jesus is putting forth for his disciples? He's doing everything, improving and saying and doing. It's like, I am God. I want you, my disciples. It is critical that you disciples need to see that I'm not just your rabbi. I'm not just your teacher. I'm not just some powerful guy. I'm not just some reincarnated Moses or Elijah. I am God himself. And I need you to know and believe and understand that I am he. But their hearts were hardened. You know, a a man named Job in the Bible missed it too. He too, if you know Job's story, he was facing extreme hardship in his life. Which was allowed and seen by God. And he was actively questioning God, struggling in his faith, kind of holding on to his faith, but struggling. Look at Job's words, and I think this would relate to the disciples and to us. Look at his words. It says this in Job. God alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. God does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. He knows this of of God. His theology is sound. Yet, when God comes near, I cannot see him. When God moves, he passes by, I do not see him go. I think this is our experience, for real. If we're honest, it's possible to kind of know these things about God. Just like Job is saying, like, yeah, I know, I know the stuff about God. I've experienced God before. And yet when he comes near, I can't, I can't see him. I don't know if he's there. And if you know Job's story, when and how does God draw near? And suffering and hardship. Isn't that just like us? We rarely see God walking past. It's hard for us to recognize his blessing. It's, we're very numb and dull to sense his presence in our lives. I wonder what, what experiences from our past did God meet you in, but you were just unable to see it at the time. And oftentimes, it's only maybe in hindsight that we see that Jesus was there. But be comforted by this. Even when we question, even when we don't quite get it, Jesus is patient with you. Do you see how patient he is with his disciples? Do you see how he reveals himself over and over and over again? In your questioning, Jesus meets with you. In our lack of understanding, when it's not clear, Jesus reveals himself to you so that, so that you might 
know and believe and understand that it is he who is Lord. His will is for you to believe in Jesus. And a relief to us is Jesus doesn't wait until we're ready enough or that we know everything there is to know, but he meets us right as we question and doubt. That's where Jesus meets us. And I wonder, how about for you? How might Jesus be revealing himself to you? Is it possible that in your present struggle, in your present questioning, in the turmoil of our lives, that perhaps the way Jesus is revealing himself to you is through those circumstances. He is so patient. Not only is he patient, but he is gracious. And Jesus shows us his grace by honoring our faith. I want us to see the gospel message in this. He honors our faith by his grace. Look at this. Jesus honors your faith. He honors your faith, even, even when our faith is incomplete. Let's read the last portion in, 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 this, in this passage for today. In Mark 6, starting from verse 53. Now when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and more to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. People run to Jesus. They recognize him somehow. This is pre-internet, pre-tabloids, pre-cameras, all right? I don't think there was an artist like following Jesus around and like posting his image everywhere. They somehow recognized him. They recognized his presence. Maybe, maybe there were some people on the shore. They're looking and it's like, man, it's a windy day. It stopped. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Somehow they recognized Jesus. They recognized him. And what they did was they ran to him. Do you see that? It says that people immediately recognized him and ran. The people run to Jesus in faith. I want us to see that. They run to Jesus in faith, period. It is worth their time, their effort, their hustle, and their worry and concern to run to Jesus. They have faith in him. And they're expecting Jesus to heal them. How? How do they know? How? There's some hints. Remember the Mark and Sandwich? Mark tells us a story. Other stuff seemingly unrelated happens in teen, And then he brings us back. Look at these words. Bring the sick people on their beds so that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. In Mark chapter 2, you know what happens? Jesus, he was teaching. He was giving the word of life to everyone who would hear. And there was such a crowd who was so hungry for his words that they pressed in, and it was in, he was in this house, and there was no room. People couldn't get through. And there was these friends. They had a paralyzed companion among them. 
And they said, we need to get to Jesus. We know that Jesus can do something about our friend. And they're so desperate to see Jesus. They brought their friend on the bed while he was still on the bed. They climbed up on the roof. They pushed the hole in the roof. And they lowered the man down so that Jesus would touch and heal him. And Jesus, you know what he did? He, he said, he commended their friends for their faith. And he made him well. So people are like, we, that's Jesus. You know what he did? That guy? Yeah, the guy who couldn't walk. He commended them for their faith. We have faith too. When bring the sick on their beds. Bring the sick on their beds. Remember in Mark chapter 5? Jesus is on the way to, to, to help Jairus' daughter who is about to die. And on the way, he encounters a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. No amount of money and resources have made her well. All the doctors and all the, all the people who tried to help her could not. She was at the end of her strength and her resources. She was desperate. And she said, if I could just touch the fringe of Jesus' garment as he passes by, I know I'll be made well. And when she does, and power goes out of Jesus, and she is made well, what does Jesus say? He says, daughter, today your faith has made you well. Jesus honors our faith. And the people here, it's not just a random crowd coming. What Mark is trying to convey is through the inspiration and example of these few people, of those friends of the paralyzed man and this bleeding woman, other people's faith was inspired and encouraged. And they said, us too, me too, I have faith. I have faith. I have faith in Jesus. Jesus honors their faith. As many as touched even the fringe of his garment were made well. He honors our faith. And the crazy thing is this. He honors our faith and it's like these, these folks are... It's not clear right now if they know that Jesus is God. Jesus just walked on water. He, he calmed the waves. He passes by. He's trying to convey to his disciples that it is indeed he who is God. That's his will for us. That's what he wants us to get. And yet, the folks, the crowds that come to him, do they know? Do they know that he is God? Do, do, do they know that Jesus is the Son of God? Not yet. Mostly no. And yet, even with that incomplete knowledge, even with an incomplete faith, the people bring their neediness and the desperate, their sickness out of their desperation. They have faith in Jesus, and Jesus honors that. That's hope for me and you. We don't have to feel all the right things. We don't have to know all there is to know. We don't have to be all put together. This past week's performance, even if it was flawed, it's okay. If we have faith, if we turn to Jesus, if we have faith enough to turn to Jesus, even if we're limping towards Jesus and we barely make it to Jesus, if you have faith at all in Jesus, Jesus honors your faith. This is where Jesus meets us in our struggle, in our questioning, in our incomplete faith. And Jesus honors that as you turn to him, even when our understanding of him is not quite there yet. 
You know, I wonder, I wonder how many times, from how many different people, have you had to hear the gospel before you believed? I'm amazed. I am amazed when I hear stories and when I've encountered people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ once for the first time and they say, I believe. That's amazing. I don't know what kind of led up to that, but for me, if you're anything like me, I grew up in the church. My parents are Christian. I went to church like multiple times a week. Heard the gospel like hundreds of times from dozens of people growing up. I heard the gospel so many times, and yes, I had the knowledge of the gospel. I knew about it, but it didn't translate into belief and faith. It, that's not the same thing. I don't know how many times I've had to hear the gospel, experience people living and acting out and demonstrating the goodness and grace of God before it finally clicked. Ooh, that should give us some relief for yourself and for your loved ones, for the people that you are hoping to come to know Christ. Maybe it'll take many, many times. For the disciples, man, they saw a lot. And they still, their hearts were hardened. But the good news is that Jesus stuck with them. Somehow, they stuck with Jesus, and Jesus honored their faith and stuck with them. And eventually, they were able to see and know and believe and understand that Jesus is God. When you struggle and when you turn to Jesus, Know that he honors your faith. When you have questions about, questions about God and you still turn to Jesus, Jesus honors your faith. Jesus meets with you out of his grace, not because of our merit. We're reminded throughout scripture that it is by God's grace that you are saved. When you believe by faith. And this faith, it's a gift from God. Not something that we can force or manipulate in ourselves or others. This faith, this gift, it comes often through heartbreak and difficult circumstances that God sees and allows and comes near to you in. It's not a result of our own doing because if it was just up to us, we probably would have given up a long time ago. This is the good news, that Jesus comes to us, that Jesus meets us where it's really messy. Very practically, how can we turn to Jesus? How do we begin to see Jesus when it's unclear, when we're struggling? How do you recognize Jesus when he reveals himself to you? And I'll apologetically say this, search for Jesus by reading scripture. Search for him by reading scripture. That doesn't get old. Search for him by reading scripture. Why? Learn to trust God at his word even before you get to that place of struggle and suffering. When you're doing okay. When it's just normal mundane stuff. So that when you do struggle, not if, but when you do struggle and start to question God. Regardless of who you are, how old you are, how experienced you are, when you question God. When it's hard to see Jesus as God and Savior then as you have been diligently and habitually searching for Jesus by reading scripture and knowing about God in his heart, you'll have scripture that keeps you anchored in Jesus. That'll keep you anchored. 
And author Anne Lamott writes this account of those a religion teacher who told the students to study the Bible so that they could have scripture on their hearts. And one of them asked, teacher, why on our hearts and not in them? Well, the teacher answered, well, only God can put his truth inside and help us believe. Only God can do that, making his word make sense so that we believe. He can put it inside. But reading scripture can put it on your hearts. And then when your hearts break, the holy words will fall inside. Read scripture. Even if it's been a while, do it again. When you struggle and when you question, turn to Jesus. Take heart because Jesus, he meets with you in your struggle so that we may know and believe and understand that Jesus is our Savior and he is God with us. Let's pray. Sovereign God, when we struggle, um, when we are brokenhearted, be near to us and keep us. When we face the long dark night, make your face to shine upon us. While we were still weak and sinful, you, sh you showed us your grace by giving us your son. So turn your face toward us so that we may see the fullness of who you are now in this season of our lives. So that we can know and understand and believe in Jesus as God and Savior. When we turn to you in our need, help us know that in Christ, you have turned toward us and grant us your peace. Amen.